0: We can make a difference. Ken, new toys. Far out. Down in the drift, Lotso. So, who's ready for Ken's dream tour? Let's show our new friends where they'll be staying. Uh, Folks, if you want to step right this way. Ken. Barbie, have we ever met? Huh. I would have remembered. <laughs> Love your leg warmers. Nice ass cut. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the sons of
1: everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama, episode 143, Toy Story 3. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. As always, a huge welcome back to Verbal Diorama, whether you are a brand new listener just for this episode, or whether you have been with this podcast since day one or day 10 or day 100 or whatever, it doesn't matter. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for showing your support to this podcast. And thank you so much for supporting Animation season 2022. This is the third annual animation season that I'm doing on this podcast. It's one of my absolute favorite things. I love to talk about animation. Animation just brings me so much joy, (laughs) and I genuinely love to talk about it on this podcast. So thank you so much for supporting this animation season. It is almost over. So there have been a lot of animated movies that I've covered this January and February of 2022. This is the penultimate episode of animation season. So there is one more animated movie that I'm going to be talking about this month and yes I realize we're close to the end of the month so (laughs) yeah I'm cutting it quite fine to get 12 episodes out in January and February but it's something that I think is really important because more podcasts need to talk about animation more people need to talk about animation first of all it's not a genre and it never will be and also it's not just for children and it never will be this movie is the perfect example, and I've said this so many times or so many episodes, that a movie is the perfect example of an animated movie that's not just for children. But this one is one of those movies that resonated with so many adults, just like the Toy Story franchise as a whole. It resonated with children, obviously, because children love toys, but it resonated with adults who could look back and remember the times they had as a child with their own toys and thinking about what would it be like if my toy came to life. And really, that is the emotional core of these movies. And to be perfectly honest, this is one of the best things that Pixar has ever done. So I am going to be waxing lyrical about this movie. I think it is wonderful. Before I start, uh, I just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to the previous episodes. Now, last week, uh, it was a bit of a momentous occasion for this podcast because I celebrated the third anniversary of this podcast. And to do so, I released three episodes in one week, which was a kind of a huge undertaking for me, considering normal episodes, they pretty much take a week <laughs> to get done. Obviously, I have a full-time job as well. And I actually took time off work to get three episodes out that week on The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and The Lion King. and The reaction to those episodes has just been so phenomenal. People have loved me talking about Renaissance Disney. People want more Renaissance Disney. I put a post up on social media and said, well, what else do you want me to cover? What are the Disney movies? What are the Renaissance Disney movies? So many people want Renaissance Disney because a lot of people grew up with Renaissance Disney. So I'm currently now planning animation season 2023 with a little bit more Disney in it. Now. For animation season, I purposely left Disney till the end, specifically Pixar to the very end of the season. And that was really because I wanted to end on the biggest possible high note. It's not quite worked out that way in a sense of when you know what's going to come next, you might understand why it's maybe not really ending on a totally high note, but some of this Disney and Pixar output is some of the best work that these studios have ever done. And the point of animation season isn't just to focus on Disney and Pixar, but also to highlight some of the other studios that were out there and are out there putting some excellent animated movies out. So without further ado, let's just jump straight into the toy box. For the 11th movie this animation season, it is a very welcome return to the podcast for Pixar. And it is the final movie in the greatest trilogy ever made, Toy Story 3. Yeah, I said trilogy. I'm gonna to come to that later. Here's the trailer for Toy Story 3.
0: Watch out! Ah. Mm. No, 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 just keep playing, just pretend I'm not here. Does the red light mean it's going? I've been cool. I've been hungry. Now for a while. I just moved to my dream. Come true. <laughs> but with it all Andy's going go 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 to college. Can you believe it? Mom, I'm not leaving till Friday. What are you going to do with these old toys? Cause I never get <laughs> over losing you. No, I will never get over losing you. Don't you get it? It finished, obsolete, over the hill. Now come on, guys. We all knew this day was coming. We're getting thrown away. No, no one's getting thrown away. We ain't ever getting played with. Hold on, this is no time to be hysterical. It's the perfect time to be hysterical. Should we be hysterical now? Yes. Maybe, but not right now. Come on, let's see how much we're going for an EB. New toys. <laughs> Nose. Here it is. Here's your arm. Give me that. That's mine. My... The mustache. We're busting out of here. On three. One. Three! Whoa! <laughs> to infinity. And beyond! <laughs> to reset your Buzz Lightyear, insert paperclip. Rex, use your finger! Ah. Did you fix
2: Buzz? espacial. <laughs> uh, sort of.
0: Oh, it's like you're Oh, no. Oh, yes. Return of the Astro Nut.
1: With their beloved Andy preparing to leave for college, Woody, Buzz, Jessie and the rest of the toys find themselves headed for the attic, but mistakenly wind up on the curb with the rubbish. Woody's quick thinking saves the gang, but all but Woody end up being donated to a daycare centre. Unfortunately, the uncontrollable kids do not play nice, so Woody and the gang make plans for a great escape. Let's quickly run through the cast. We have, of course we have, Tom Hanks as Woody, Tim Allen as Buzz Lightyear, John Cusack as Jessie, Ned Beatty as Lotso, John Morris as Andy, Don Rickles as Mr Potato Head, Blake Clark as Slinky Dog, Wallace Shawn as Rex, John Ratzenberger as Hab. Estelle Harris as Mrs Potato Head, Jeff Pigeon as The Aliens, Jodie Benson as Barbie, Michael Keaton as Ken, Emily Hahn as Bonnie, Timothy Dalton as Mr Pricklepants, Kristen Scholl as Trixie, Jeff Garlin as Buttercup, Bonnie Hunt as Dolly, Whoopi Goldberg as Stretch, and Laurie Metcalf as Andy's mum. Toy Story 3 has a screenplay by Michael Arndt, story by John Lasseter, Andrew Stanton and Lee Unkridge and is directed by Lee Unkridge. After the huge success of Toy Story in 1995 came a sequel, Toy Story 2, four years later. The stories of both are covered in episodes 50 and 112 respectively of this podcast and so I'm not going to retread old ground, just going to say listen to those episodes because the history of Toy Story and Toy Story 2 is so very fascinating for both. And obviously both were huge successes. Toy Story literally redefining animation and what it could achieve. And Toy Story 2 redefining what a sequel could be. And that it could be just as good, if not better. As well as a sequel that was almost direct to DVD and a sequel that got deleted twice. But more on that in episode 112. It's a really fascinating story. Now in terms of the contracted agreement between Disney, the then distributor, and Pixar. Obviously the studio. And their history goes way back. This is all in episode 50. Pixar had an initial agreement with Disney for distribution, but as part of that deal, Disney owned the rights to the characters as well as the rights to make any sequels to these movies as they so wished, with Pixar given first refusal to work on those sequels. This caused an issue for Pixar with Toy Story 2, as because that movie was originally a direct-to-DVD sequel and later upgraded to a theatrical release, it didn't form part of the deal, despite Pixar's insistence that it be upgraded to be included in the deal. Pixar would be soured by the fact that although the movie was profitable and those profits were split equally, Disney exclusively owned the story, the characters and the sequel rights plus a 15% distribution fee. Pixar decided that it wanted to retain ownership of the characters and stories it was telling and the sequel rights as well, with Disney instead offered first refusal on distribution. Pixar wanted 100% of the profits from these movies, not 50%, and demanded control of movies then in production, The Incredibles and Cars. Disney refused this offer. Negotiations continued for 10 months and weren't going anywhere. The talks broke down completely in mid-2004, with Steve Jobs and Michael Eisner disagreeing on every aspect of the deals put on the table. Jobs declared Pixar was going to be looking for a new partner and entered talks with Warner Brothers, Sony Pictures and 20th Century Fox. Disney retaliated by forming its own new animation division focusing on CG animated output, Circle 7 Animation. Circle 7, formed in March 2005 by Michael Eisner, was seen as a bargaining chip by both Disney and Pixar, as well as a serious backup, just in case negotiations could never be resurrected. Staff started to be hired, and because Disney owned these vital sequel rights, they started exercising those rights, and started early drafts of Monsters, Inc. 2, which was subtitled Lost in scare Finding Nemo 2, and Toy Story 3. But there was friction at Disney. 2000's Disney animation just hadn't succeeded the way the Disney renaissance of 1989 to 1999 had. A string of box office disappointments followed, starting in 2000 with The Emperor's New Groove. There is another incredible production story behind that one, so that will possibly pop up next season, perhaps and also Atlantis, The Lost Empire, and Treasure Planet. I've done an episode on Treasure Planet. Pixar, on the other hand, remained critically and commercially acclaimed in the early 2000s with hits like Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, and The Incredibles. And despite Disney reaping the benefits of their partnership, it's easy to see why Pixar felt they'd been handed the short straw with their deal. They were doing all the work, getting the acclaim, but Disney was still seeing that 50%. And to give a little perspective, Pixar were releasing The Incredibles around the same time as Disney were releasing Home on the Range. Roy E. Disney, nephew of Walt, resigned as Disney Vice Chairman and Chairman of Walt Disney Feature Animation, citing micromanagement within the studio and that the Walt Disney Company was becoming a rapacious, soulless company, his words not mine. With this high-profile resignation, problems with the partnership with Pixar and their animation division suffering Disney shareholders rallied by Roy Disney and other former board members Stanley Gold withheld their proxies to re-elect Michael Eisner, which, in layman's terms, meant a vote of no confidence in Michael Eisner, although they didn't immediately remove him as chief executive at this time. On the 13th of March 2005, Michael Eisner, once heralded as the next big thing for Disney, despite having zero experience in Disney or animation, announced he would step down as CEO one year before his contract expired and handed the reins over to Bob Iger, who was assigned by the board as CEO-designate after the board started to pressure Eisner to resign. Bob Iger was effectively Michael Eisner's second-in-command since 2000. With Iger in charge, Disney started promoting a change of leadership at Disney, heralding another new age, and at a parade in Hong Kong Disneyland, Iger noticed that almost all of the characters in the parade that were less than 10 years old were Pixar characters. He realised what an asset Pixar was to Disney and that Disney had actually been losing money on their homegrown animation content and after presenting this information to the board received permission to explore a further deal with Pixar. Meanwhile, Circle 7 was ploughing ahead with a new Toy Story 3 with Bradley Raymond, previously of The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2 and The Lion King Ward at the half, hired to direct. An unused script written by Bill and Sherry Steinkelder was a whodunit murder mystery based around toy stealing while Andy brings his toys to stay the night at his grandmother's, this was considered but ultimately rejected. The version of the script going forward at Circle 7 was written by Jim Hertzfeld and focused on a malfunctioning Buzz Lightyear who gets recalled back to his factory in Taiwan for repair. Fearing Buzz's impending doom, Woody, Rex, Slinky, Mr Potato Head Ham, Jesse and Bullseye ship themselves to Taiwan to rescue Buzz. There they meet other toys that have also been sent back to the factory, including a Transformers type toy, and a leggy Barbie-like toy called Jade. Promotional art for this version wound up on the internet after appearing at annual CG conference SIGGRAPH in 2005, showing the proposed storyline of the recalled But's Light Years. In January 2006, Disney agreed to buy Pixar in an all-stock deal costing approximately $7.4 billion. The acquisition was completed in May 2006. Due to the overseeing of the deal by John Lasseter and Ed Catmull, The acquisition meant that Pixar remained a separate entity outside of Disney, that Pixar would not be merged within Disney, and that the studio would continue to operate within its own Emeryville location. Each studio would be solely responsible for their own projects. There would be no borrowing of personnel between the two. Disney Animation was responsible for their output and Pixar responsible for theirs. There'd be no helping out, no assistance, no borrowing anything. They were, for all intents and purposes, separate animation studios. Once Disney bought Pixar, Circle 7 Animation was closed with immediate effect. Its staff transferred to Walt Disney Feature Animation and all projects it was working on were shelved. Bob Iger then confirmed that the Toy Story 3 project would be continuing, but under the Pixar banner. Toy Story 3 would have a 2010 release, would be unconnected to the Circle 7 draft, and would be directed by Lee Unkrich. Unkrich had been the editor on Toy Story and the co-director on Toy Story 2. Ulkrich was taken aside by John Lasseter, who by that point was in charge of Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios, and given Lasseter's blessing and support to solely direct Toy Story 3, which was quite a daunting task for Lee Ulkrich. He was worried that he would be responsible for the first Pixar dud. A two-day brain trust retreat was arranged, attended by Ulkrich, Lasseter, producer Darla K. Anderson, who'd also been with the Toy Story movies as a producer since the very first one, Andrew Stanton, Pete Doctor, Bob Peterson and Jeff Pidgeon. It was held in March 2006 at Poets Loft, a cabin overlooking Tamales Bay in Marin County, California. This was the same cabin where Toy Story itself was born. An idea for Toy Story 3 had been brewing ever since the success of Toy Story 2, but within 20 minutes at the cabin, the idea was shot down. What the idea was remains a total secret. It took until the second day of discussion for an idea around Andy going to college, the toys ending up at a daycare by accident and then ended up with a little girl called Bonnie in a treatment written by Andrew Stanton. Michael Arndt was called upon to write the screenplay. He was asked the same week that his previously adapted screenplay, Little Miss Sunshine, had taken the Sundance Film Festival by storm. So, a good week for Michael Arndt. Arndt would move from New York to California to write the movie at Pixar and working off Stanton's treatment, broke it down into 25 sequences which were then cut into rough story reels with temporary voices and music. This was then screened internally and then constantly revised. These revisions became a complete story reel. Rather than send the main actors scripts for consideration to return to the franchise, they were shown this story reel. And at the time, Toy Story 3 was always going to have that sense of being the final film in the trilogy. This finality carried over into the voice actor's scheduling, with Tom Hanks recording Woody's final scenes during his final sessions in the voice booth. This was going to be the end. This was going to be a love letter to the franchise, and the perfect send-off for these beloved characters. That for every child who grows up, goes off to college, gets a job and starts a family, there's another child that needs these toys. It was, to all intents and purposes, the perfect send-off. And then we got Toy Story 4. More on that in a little bit. For research purposes, the team studied prison break movies like Cool Hand Luke, The Great Escape, The Shawshank Redemption, and possibly even previous episodes of T.A. on Chicken although that is not confirmed. They visited daycare centres and noticed that many are run a little bit like prisons for toddlers, with high walls, security cameras, rules to follow, and bins full of toys that look like rows of cells. It was an environment rich with possibility for the toys we know, previously focused mostly in Andy's room or house, to be in a completely new and strange environment with hundreds of new toys to interact with. It had been John Lasseter's intention to get Barbie involved in the very first Toy Story, but as I mentioned in episode 50, Mattel didn't want Barbie to have a set personality, but for a child to give her the personality through play. She made a brief appearance in Al's Toy Barn in Toy Story 2, but this movie we find out Andy's sister Molly has a Barbie, specifically the 1983 Great Shape Barbie. To get a full Barbie appearance, and not only that, but Ken as well, Pixar contacted Mattel and Leo Critch pitched them the story. Mattel didn't give them complete free rate on how Barbie and Ken should be depicted, but trusted Pixar to treat Barbie and Ken with respect. Ken is based on the 1988 animal loving Ken. Barbie is voiced by Arrow herself, Jodie Benson, and Ken by actual Batman a Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton. At auditions, both were given their respective Barbie and Ken dolls to play with. This was also the first Toy Story movie to not star Jim Varney as Slinky Dog due to his death in 2000. Slinky was voiced by Varney's friend, Blake Clark. Original Andy voice actor John Morris quit acting in 2001 but was tracked down by Leo Critch and persuaded to return as his voice still sounded young enough for a 17-year-old Andy. When the animators went back to their original work on Toy Story for referencing, they could look at the models but they couldn't actually do anything with them. Like a huge read-only file that you desperately needed access to. This meant that everything had to be started from scratch and many of the young, fresh-faced animators in their early 20s working on Toy Story 3 had grown up watching Toy Story, and seeing that movie had inspired them to become animators themselves. And obviously, it had been almost 10 years since Toy Story 2, and so while it was important to match the look and feel of the previous movies, the advances in technology meant that modern lighting and texturing tools could be used. While the animation models would end up being rebuilt, they were done so with the same simplified controls available to animators on the earlier films to retain the essence of the characters. Animators from the first Toy Story movie were interviewed by supervising animator Bobby Podesta to help get the new crew in the same mindset as the original crew. And the animation team were working on some of the most complicated things Pixar had ever tried, including Mr tortilla Head, who had to react like a tortilla. And let's not even get started on what makes a toy a toy and what gives a toy its conscience, because otherwise we'll be here forever. The climactic scene in The Incinerator is often seen as one of the most emotional scenes in all of animation, A year and a half of research went into the simulation of how the incinerator would behave and how mashed-up rubbish would move. I mentioned earlier hundreds of new toys, Toy Story 3 actually contained 302 individual characters, the most of any Pixar film, and rather than rely on crowd simulation to animate these characters we meet at Sunnyside, each character was animated from scratch by hand. It was an all-hands-on-deck approach at Pixar with 60 crew, focused solely on the Sunnyside introductions. And honestly, at this point, I usually say, and some huge catastrophe happened. But being completely honest, Toy Story 3's production was drama free. And this was including the addition of stereoscopic 3D and Toy Story 3 becoming the first film to feature theatrical Dolby 7.1 surround sound. Really, this was one of the easiest productions Pixar ever had. So there's not really much to say on the production of Toy Story based on the fact that it was kind of reasonably easy. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the tribute in this movie to Hayao Miyazaki, a non-speaking cameo for Totoro to show the partnership and respect between Pixar, Disney and the Studio Ghibli. And it just really, really makes me want to buy a Totoro plush. I really, really want one. (laughs) I might go and order one very soon. And just a nice little story to finish with here. Two Iowa brothers would spend eight years making a stop-motion version of Toy Story 3 Mason and Morgan McGrew produced an exact replica of the movie, published it on YouTube. I will put a link to it in the show notes because it's quite brilliant. Even the Disney and Pixar intros are replicated in stop motion. It's remarkable and it's really charming. And once you start watching it, I guarantee you will struggle to stop because it's so very good. I will put a link in the show notes to that if you are interested. Speaking of remarkable and charming, it's time for the obligatory Keanu reference. So this is a part of the podcast where I like to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. Now, we know that Duke Kaboom is part of the Toy Story universe canonically. He just hasn't been seen yet. I like to think there's a version of Duke Kaboom at Sunnyside and that he does jump as high as he does in the commercials at Sunnyside. And additionally, I feel like Duke Kaboom, if he is at Sunnyside, I don't feel like he would be too happy with Lotso running Sunnyside like a dictator. So I feel like in the jails, I feel like that's where Duke Kaboom would be because he would be constantly going up against Lotso. But obviously, Duke Kaboom is not really suitable for the caterpillar room because he's got like small parts and like kids could choke. Seriously, do the daycare assistants at Sunnyside actually check whether these toys are suitable for the children? I'm starting to think about it now because loads of toys have really small parts and you're not supposed to give certain toys to toddlers because. They will put anything and everything in their mouths and up their nose. And and like we see in the movie, they literally put everything in their mouths. So I really do feel like maybe the childcare assistants there need to check the toys or maybe they're on Lotso's side. Now I'm starting to go down a rabbit hole of thinking about the hierarchy of management at Sunnyside where maybe the daycare assistants are actually under the dictatorship of Lotso. I don't know. That is a rabbit hole I really don't want to go down. Let's talk about the music, because while the Judas Priest song Electric Eye was originally used as a temporary stand-in for the opening train desert sequence, Randy Newman would return to score Toy Story 3. This is his sixth time working with Pixar. After Toy Story, A Bug's Life, Toy Story 2, Monsters, Inc. and Cars, for Spanish Buzz, a version of You Got a Friend in Me was performed by the Gypsy Kings of Bombaleo fame and choreographed in the movie by Dancing with the Stars, Cheryl Burke and Tony Dovolani. The Paso Doble was also performed on Dancing with the Stars by Cheryl Burke and Tony Devellani. Toy Story 3 premiered on the 12th of June 2010 at the Taormina Film Festival in Italy before premiering in the US the following day at the El Capitan Theatre in Hollywood. On the 17th of June 2010, the El Capitan showed all three Toy Story films together for the first time. When Toy Story 3 was released wide on the 18th of June 2010, it was the same week as Jonah Hex, a uh, ball movies, It shot to number one, unsurprisingly, with very little competition. The remake of The Karate Kid had just come out the week prior, and Toy Story 3 blew that away with over $100 million more that week. Toy Story 3 would fall down the next week to number two, due to the release of the Twilight Saga Eclipse. But even then, Eclipse would only earn $1.5 million more than Toy Story 3 that week. I say only, but you know what I mean. Toy Story 3's budget of $200 million was, at the time of its release, the most expensive animated movie ever made. It was surpassed five months later by Tangled, which currently shares the record of most expensive animated film with the 2019 live-action, except it's not live-action, remake of The Lion King. Both cost $260 million, and yes, one day I'll get to Tangled and why it cost so much money. Toy Story 3 also became the highest-grossing animated film of all time when it made a worldwide total of $1.067 billion until it was surpassed by Frozen in 2013. It had made $415 million in the US and $652 million worldwide. It made $41.1 million in its first day of release in the US alone and $167.6 million in its first week in the US just to kind of give you an idea of how huge this movie actually was. So it was a huge commercial success. Obviously, it was also a huge critical success as well. While Toy Story 3 was the best-reviewed film of 2010 on aggregates like Rotten Tomatoes, unlike its predecessors, it only has a 98% score, thanks to five rotten reviews. And as much as art is subjective, and it is subjective, I hope that those five critics find joy somewhere, because if this doesn't do it... I don't know what will. I'm thinking of you, five critics, and I hope you're okay. Genuinely. When it came to awards season, Toy Story 3's Oscar campaign was notable for several reasons. Instead of the standard for your consideration material, the campaign featured characters and scenes from the movie with the tagline Not Since, basically comparing Toy Story 3 to previous big winners like Lord of the Rings Return of the King and Titanic. I'll try to remember to post some of them on social media because They are actually quite funny. And clearly the tactic worked because it became the third animated movie to receive a Best Picture Academy Award nomination, as well as Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Animated Feature, Best Sound Editing and Best Original Song. It would win for Animated Feature and Song. It would also win a BAFTA for Best Animated Feature and a Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature Film. How to Train Your Dragon would scoop all of the Annie Awards that year after the previous year, Disney and Pixar had boycotted the event due to Kung Fu Panda sweeping the Annie Awards in 2009 against Pixar's Wall-E. Many at Disney and Pixar felt the vote had been rigged in DreamWorks' favour. And for the 2010 awards, Disney and Pixar ceased submissions. They would return to the awards in 2011. And again, a DreamWorks picture swept the boards with 11 wins. Like Wall-E, Toy Story 3 would go on to win the Oscar as well as be nominated for Best Picture. and. We do need to talk about sequels. I think we do need to talk about Toy Story 4. So give me a few days and I will bring you something on that. To some social media thoughts. And we're going to start with the patrons of this podcast. And
2: we're going to start with perennial commenter Andy, of course. And Andy says, As I fought through the tears, let me say a thing or two about Toy Story 3. When it was first announced that Pixar was going back to the Toy Story well after a series of groundbreaking movies, parentheses, Ratatouille, Wall-E and Up. I felt it would be reductive and a huge step backwards. However, the sheer emotion that was brought to this movie as someone who also had to grow up and leave his toys behind is something that will continually make me ugly cry. The introduction of Bonnie paved the way for the inspired Toy Story shorts. Small Fry is my personal favourite. And I'm so happy that Toy Story 3 was simply as amazing as it ended up
1: being. It's worth adding as well that Andy did post a GIF on Twitter and it was, the crying sadness skip from upside down. And another patron, Mike, actually commented on that and did another gift saying seconded. The reason why I'm mentioning Andy and Mike together is because they both have a podcast together, along with several other brilliant people. But because they're patrons, I like to give patrons plugs for their podcasts. So I have to give their podcast Geek Salad a bit of a plug, but I don't have to. I choose to. They're not like forcing me to do it. I choose to give <laughs> a Geek Salad a plug. They are an amazing pop culture, geeky podcast. They cover everything, movies, music, games, literally anything geeky. Andy has been on my podcast a couple of times. I am going back onto Geek Salad this summer to talk about the movies of 1992, which I'm really, really excited about. Some great movies came out in 1992. But I will pop some information in the show notes for Geek Salad. Please go take a listen. They are absolutely wonderful people. We also have a patron comment from Ian who
2: says, I love the Toy Story films. I grew up watching them and went through the same feelings as Andy, thinking you're too old to play with toys but can't part with all of them. The visuals in this one have come so far from the first one, which looks a bit computer gamey watching back now. I don't think it's possible to watch this without crying. The first time I watched it, I really thought they were going in the incinerator, but even on rewatches, that scene is still powerful, and I'm tearing up just thinking about the end. I'll probably cry listening to you talk about it too, just like I did listening to Black Panther. Such a great film, and sometimes I wish it stopped with this one. And yes,
1: this is very much a movie that I cry to every single time. Uh, I cry at so many different points in this movie. The Black Panther episode was especially emotional. It's probably one of the most emotional episodes I've ever done. And that was purely because I recorded that so soon after Chadwick Boseman's death. But, you know, I do try and be as professional as possible on this podcast. So I am not going to cry on this episode, I promise. But I think a lot of people wish that it had stopped with this one, kind of myself included, even though Keanu's in the next one and I feel like I can't really say that. But yeah, I'm going to come to Toy Story 4 in a little bit. Let's move over to Twitter and we've got at DW Lundberg who said, A distinctly emotional capper to my favourite animated film series. These characters mean the world to me and seeing their journey come to its natural conclusion is one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had in a theatre. At Stunt Goat 75 said, This film always destroys me. It was a perfect end to the story, though number four wasn't bad. At Ever said, An absolutely beautiful way to end the original trilogy. It was a way to show us it's okay to grow up and move on while still cherishing the good times. Superb animation and great writing, coupled with gorgeous animation and lots of heart, make this one you don't want to miss. At YNF Movie Pod said, My favourite of this franchise. The one that made me show emotions, which is something I rarely do. At Harry Met Movies said, This is where the series should have ended. I don't dislike the fourth, but this third one made the series arguably the best trilogy out there. The best of the franchise, in my opinion. At Jabis said, This movie definitely should have ended things. At Chesty Morgan said, Holding hands in the furnace is on par with Schindler's List, in my opinion. One of the most distressing things I've ever seen. It's great, but makes me way too emotionally label. Moving over to Instagram, we have at Friendly who said, When Toy Story 3 was announced ten years after the second one, I thought it was going to be a cash grab to profit off millennials and our love of nostalgia. In some ways I was right, but I genuinely think that doesn't matter, because what we got was a beautiful ending to a beautiful trilogy. sorry M, the fourth one doesn't exist to me. Well, maybe don't listen to the next episode then. (laughs) don't have any comments on Facebook, but a huge thank you to everyone who's taken the time to give some comments on Toy Story 3. And when you think of Toy Story 3, a second sequel shouldn't be this good. Lightning struck Pixar in 1995 and then again in 1999, and you think, what are the odds of a third entry being a dud? They're high. They're really high. And the next episode is going to be on what is excellence in technical achievement for Pixar, but considered many the dud of this franchise. And I kind of feel like a dud in this franchise had to happen eventually. And I'm glad it wasn't Toy Story 3, if you kind of get what I mean. With Toy Story 3, we went from the perfect duology to the perfect trilogy. Each movie stands unique, with the same core characters adding new ones along the way that just feel like they've been there from the start. While the new additions in this movie aren't given quite as much screen time as Jesse or Bullseye, By this point, Pixar has a winning formula and they know how to work it. And yes, this has spawned huge merchandise revenue for Disney. And the cynic in all of us could just see it as a cash grab for toys. But when something has soul and heart and emotion running through its CG veins, you can't even be cynical. Well, unless you're one of those five critics that I really hope are okay. Pixar at this point is not playing it safe, even with sequels. Most importantly, there are very few pop culture references in these movies to date them. Toys are everlasting, well, until they're not. You've got scenes filled with such joy, like Ken modelling clothes for Barbie and Barbie destroying those clothes to get him to talk, the Sunnyside prison break, through to one of the few times I couldn't breathe in the cinema, the incinerator scene, when it looks like there's genuinely no way out for these characters and all they do is hold hands and wait. It's gut-wrenching. It's emotionally gut-wrenching. And it gets me every single time. Even though I know everything's going to be okay, the claw and all of that, it doesn't matter. still gets me. Because these aren't just toys. They were never just toys. They are the embodiments of all of us. Our hopes and dreams and realities projected onto shiny wood and plastic. And at the end, we get the circle of life for a toy. They move on to the next child. That child becomes their kid. And the cycle continues ad infinitum. The final scene with Andy playing with Bonnie hits me the hardest. It's that perfect mix of sadness and joy. No one wants to be cast off, forgotten, unknown and unloved. It's a primal fear instilled in all of us. But we all have to say goodbye. Eventually. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Toy Story 3. And if you want to get involved and have your comments read out on episodes, all you need to do is comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media for episodes. They normally go up on a Saturday. Leave your comment and I will read it out. It's really that simple. Not only can you get involved in the podcast, you can also help it grow and reach more people. You have the power in your hands if you're listening on a phone. So to help this podcast grow, you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Spotify. You can also retweet and like post on social media. That always helps as well. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And the easiest thing you can do is if you've got a friend or a family member who loves movies, then recommend Verbal Diorama to them. If you're loving like this episode on Toy Story 3 specifically, I'm going to recommend, again, the other Toy Story episodes that I've done. So episode 50, Toy Story, and episode 112, Toy Story 2. There is loads of information about Pixar and how those movies were made, and it's a fascinating story. Genuinely, how these movies were made is fascinating enough. And then you realize these movies are perfect. And how did they do that? It's incredible. I always ask for feedback on my episode recommendations. I never get feedback, but to be honest, they are the perfect two episodes to recommend for this, so I don't feel like I got it wrong. Now, I've teased it a couple of times. So the next episode, I am doing an episode of Toy Story 4. It is not a full episode. It is a Nanorana episode. So it is a shorter episode than normal. But I felt like I wanted to finalize Toy Story. And the best way for me to do that is to finish with Toy Story 4. So Toy Story 4 is going to be coming out on Monday. And then it's going to be followed by a break week. So there will be no episode the following Thursday because Toy Story 4 is the end of animation season. So animation season concludes with Toy Story 4. After that, I'm going back to some live action output, but I wanted to have a bit of a break because I don't know if you noticed, but I've done 12 episodes in two months and I am quite tired. So I would like to have a little bit of a break to recharge for a week. And then I'm going to be coming back with a romantic comedy of all things. I'm going to be coming back with my best friend's wedding, which is one of my favorite romantic comedies. It's got some sublime Julia Roberts, some excellent Cameron Diaz, some amazing Rupert Everett, and it's just one of the best 90s rom-coms. So really, all I've got to say to you is, the moment I wake up. (laughs) Oh, I love that scene. Anyway, see you. My Best Friend's Wedding, after a brief break week. That's all you'll be getting. This podcast is free and it always will be free. I have no intention of putting this podcast behind any sort of paywall. But to be honest, it's not cheap to run a podcast, especially if you want the best equipment and the best hosting and all of that sort of stuff. So I am quite reliant on some really wonderful patrons and I like to shout them out every episode because they have really wonderful people for supporting me and believing in me. So to the patrons of Verbal Diorama, Simon E, Sharday, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern. Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Mark, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D. And a huge welcome to brand new patron Jason, who just signed up as a Johnny Utah patron. Thank you so much for joining us, Jason. And basically, all I've got to say to all of you patrons is, you've done a playdate with destiny. I'm really sorry, I can't do accents. I have tried terrible with accents. That was me pretending to be Lotso, by the way. Also, I have a brand new merch store. It's verbaldiarama.com slash merch. And there are t-shirts. There's only t-shirts at the moment, but they are mummy themed t-shirts. And The Mummy is the greatest movie ever made. I'm talking about the 1999 version. And I'm going to be doing these little Collections that I'm calling them. The first collection is based on the mummy. There are currently two designs, and hopefully, there will be more in the near future. If you do want to support this podcast, then pop over and have a look and see what you think. As I said, it's verbaldiorama.com/slash merch. If you want to get in touch with me, it's verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi. You could also visit my website, verbaldiorama.com. And you can also pop over to filmstories.co.uk and check out all of the writing work that I do and new issues of the magazine as and when they are available. And finally.
0: Oh, no. Dr. Porkchop's attacking the haunted bakery. The ghosts
2: are getting away. <laughs> you stop them. Buzz, like you're the rescue. Come on, Guys. Look, Mommy, they're all playing together. Oh, come on,
0: let's get some lunch. <laughs> <laughs>